Hello, my name is David Lesner, and I'm one of the pastors at Creekwood United Methodist Church. We are located in Fairview, Texas, right east of Allen, just north of the Dallas area. The sermon you're about to hear was recorded at one of our worship services, which we'd love to invite you to check out live at 8.30 a.m. for traditional or 11 a.m. for contemporary on Sunday mornings on our Facebook page or the recorded version on YouTube. We'd love for you to check out our social media pages at Creekwood UMC or our website, creekwoodumc.org, for more information about what is happening and how you can grow with us in our mission to share God's love. If you feel inspired, there's also a way to give at the top of the website. Thanks for listening to this sermon, and we hope it inspires you in your journey with God. Our scripture reading today is from Ruth, chapter 1, verse 3 through 5 and 8 through 14. But Elimelech, the husband of Naomi, died, and she was left with her two sons. These took Moabite wives. The name of one was Orpah, and the name of the other, Ruth. When they had lived there for about ten years, both Malon and Kilion also died, so that the woman was left without her two sons or her husband. But Naomi said to her two daughters-in-law, Go back, each of you, to your mother's house. May the Lord deal kindly with you, as you have dealt with the dead and with me. The Lord grant that you may find security, each of you in the house of your husband. Then she kissed them, and they wept aloud. They said to her, No, We'll return with you to your people. But Naomi said, Turn back, my daughters. Why will you go with me? Do I still have sons in my womb that may become your husbands? Turn back, my daughters. Go your way, for I am too old to have a husband. Even if I thought there was hope for me, even if I should have a husband tonight and bear sons, would you then wait until they were grown? Would you then refrain from marrying? No, my daughters, it has been far more bitter for me than for you, because the hand of the Lord has turned against me. Then they wept aloud again. Orpah kissed her mother-in-law, but Ruth clung to her. This is the word of God for all God's people. Thanks be to God. A funeral I did a few months ago was for a woman named Rhonda, and her husband Matt was somebody I'd known for a very long time. I'd known both of them for a very long time. And so I've been checking in with Matt every so often, and Matt is very aware of his grief, and Matt is very aware of his pain. And what is interesting is that Matt, more than others, has been able to name what is different each day. Because the care that often comes from a community and the worry that often comes with a funeral is usually isolated to the shock of the death itself or to the event of the funeral or to the food that flows in during the week of the funeral or maybe a week after the funeral and then the next week comes after that and the next week comes after that and all of a sudden you're not as front and center on everybody's mind as you were around the shock of the death or around the moment of the funeral, which can be a great moment of closure and celebration, but it's not the end. And so as I've checked in with Matt, it's um, not just 
the shock of death or the loss of a wife. But it's the loss of getting out of bed quietly because she always slept in longer than she did. he did. It's the loss of making coffee for her every morning and bringing it to wake her up when she needed to get up. It's the loss of after she had her morning coffee, all of a sudden there would be an impromptu Rolling Stones concert in the kitchen. It's the loss of being able to go to a restaurant and say party of two. It's the loss of being able to go to a party without everybody pitying you. It's the loss of when you do walk into church and everybody says, hey, how are you this week? It's the loss of the ability to say, I'm fine. What Matt said to me the last time that I talked to him is, I just have to remember every day that it's not the same. Now, Matt is not in the throes of depression. Matt is not um, ceasing from showering or ceasing from eating or staying in bed the entire time. Matt is back at work and Matt is hanging out with his grandkids and Matt is doing life as you would think he is doing fine, but every morning he still has to deal with, he's not making coffee for anybody. And he's not making the side of the bed that would normally not be made. And he's, normally, he's not doing the things that have been normal for him for a 37-year run of marriage. And most of us find ourselves in that same way, maybe not with the loss of a loved one, but maybe it is simply your kid that went to college or the way that life used to be before we were isolated from each other for a year or the way that something used to be. They we're all in the throes of what grief, we're all in the throes of change and transition. And Ruth is an excellent book about change and transition. What's interesting is that when they put together the Christian canon of the Bible, the Bible that most of us read from, they put Ruth right after Judges because at the very beginning of Ruth it says, in the time of the Judges, as though this was this linear progression. And they put it there because it's a great link between the Jacob and David to preserve that line, which then ultimately, as you read in Matthew and Luke, the line of Jacob goes through David, the line of David will be there forever, as the prophets say, and Jesus comes from the lineage of David. And so in the Christian Bible, Ruth is simply a historical transitional book to get us from Jacob to David, eventually to Jesus. But in the Jewish version, Ruth is in the back. And Ruth is read during certain moments of liturgy and certain moments of worship. Ruth is actually thought to have been written more around the time of the exile that we've been talking about in Jeremiah over the last five weeks, that for an entire group of people that have been intermingling with foreigners, here is a story about a Hebrew person whose daughters intermarry with foreigners and the loss and the grief that comes in these moments of having to transition back to what used to be normal as the exiles come back to a world that's just different. Ruth is on some level about the process of grieving. It is about the idea of living with grief as opposed to conquering grief or leaving it behind. And one of the things that Naomi does so well in Ruth, especially at the beginning of Ruth, is, is what Matt did, and that is that Naomi names her grief. And this is the first thing that people, we really need to do to live with grief as opposed to suffer from grief or try and combat grief, is name the fact that we're hurting. Some of you know Paul Warner. Paul's a member of our church. He's a clinical psychologist, and he wrote a book in which he, I was fascinated by this. He talks about um, how the body naturally releases 
um, the chemicals or hormones we need to counterbalance the emotions that we feel. And so when we are angry, if we try and repress that anger, we will be angry longer versus just going and yelling at a pillow for five minutes. And as we yell and we get angry, our body releases endorphins that calm us down. When we're sad and we cry, our body releases chemicals that make us joyful again. But if we repress the sadness and we repress the tears, then we live in darkness and sadness longer. I was really fascinated by this whole book and, and what Walter Brueggemann, who's an Old Testament scholar, talks about that, that when he writes about the Psalms of Lament and Lamentations, that putting a word to pain, naming pain, causes us to be able to recognize the life that will be in the future, but also it gives chance for hope to happen. And Naomi, what, what people in grief most often do, especially after shock, is they either enter into that stage of not showering, not getting out of bed, not wanting to do anything, or they get so hyperactive busy so they don't have to feel anything. And as long as they can accomplish and achieve, then they don't have to feel anything, they don't have to worry about anything. And that's usually what happens in like a week leading up to a funeral, is they're insanely busy and everybody's stressed, but you do everything you possibly can. And I hear people say this all the time, I just need to keep busy. And Naomi and Ruth and Orpah have this choice. They could cover themselves in sackcloth and ashes and just sit in the middle of the street and dirge and mourn and, and just wail away for a little while. Or they could go on back to Israel and there's great food there and we can go make our plan and they could just keep busy with everything they do. But Naomi in her spiritual maturity stops. And she looks at her daughters-in-law and she says, something's not right. And I wonder what Ruth and Orpah, these very devoted, loyal daughters-in-law, they both have taken active steps. They're on the way back with uh, Naomi to Israel. And I wonder how they feel if they're wondering, like, I wonder if she's upset, she's not saying anything, maybe we shouldn't be upset. You know, they don't have this, maybe this close of a relationship, but Naomi stops and she says, something's not right here. We've lost our protection. There's a reason why there are so many laws about protecting widows in the Old Testament because women who were not of childbearing age or material were not thought of very highly. And when you lost your husband, you lost your identity and you lost your protection and you lost your normalcy and you lost your future. And so nothing is right. There's a whole lot of change and grief that's come along with this. And Naomi is able to look at Ruth and Orpah and say, something's not right here. And by doing that, she frees both of them to just wail and cry. And she frees Orpah to say, you know, the future for me is back in Moab where I can have kids and I can have a husband and I can have a normal life. And Ruth bonds with Naomi's grief and recognizes that her love for Naomi is so strong, she's willing to go the extra mile with, with Naomi in this, this Hebrew concept of hesed, which is covenant, which is just eternal love. Naomi does what we have to do to be able to live with grief, and that is to name the grief. Not pretend that we're not hurting, not pretend that we don't have grief, but name it, because once we name it, we can allow healing to happen. Once we name it, once we do cry, once we do get mad, once we go through those stages, we can allow our body to heal and we can allow God to come in and heal us. But the other thing about naming grief, the other thing about admitting grief, is that when you admit that something is harming you, when you admit that you are going through something hard, what you tend to do is notice the hardship that others are feeling as well. 
Naomi recognizes this later on, like chapter 3, verse 1 is a great example where she tells Ruth that, um, that I need to provide you protection. Naomi not only recognizes her own vulnerable status, but she recognizes Ruth's vulnerable status because the whole book is kind of about Naomi. Even though Ruth is this primary actor, Naomi's like the main figure who, even at the end, they say, oh, great, Naomi has had a child when it was Ruth who had a child. And Naomi being the central figure in her naming of her grief has compassion for Ruth because Ruth also lost her husband. And as much as Naomi changes her name to Mara, which means bitter, and as much as the whole text is around Naomi, Ruth has also lost her husband. And, and by naming her own grief, Naomi is able to have compassion for Ruth. A while ago, um, the first week I was ever like a commissioned elder in the Methodist Church, I started at Stonebridge United Methodist Church. And the third day I was there, one of the more prominent members named Bobby Rosevich had a stroke. And I go to the hospital, I'm very new at this, so I go in, I think I had shorts and a t-shirt on at the time, um, and Julie, his wife, is just beside herself. Because they were at that stage, and some of you know what I'm talking about, in which they were ready to just fully live their retired life. And their retired life was not going to happen now, because Bob has still not regained most of his speech and most of his walking, and it's been, what, 12 years, 15 years, something like that? And Bob was an active guy, he was a smart guy, he was a business leader. Bob was one of those guys who could take on the world and now all of a sudden he can't. And he retreated inside himself and he became a shell of himself and nobody recognized Bob anymore from his outwardly just joyous demeanor that he always used to have. He was coming to church but he'd sit in the back and he wasn't active and he just wasn't Bob anymore until Julie who is a very Naomi-like figure and a strong woman calls up to the office and says, I have started a support group for stroke and aphasia, um, people who have suffered stroke and aphasia. And say, great, you started it or Bob started it? And she goes, oh no, I started it. Bob will come. <laughs> and he said, does Bob know that yet? And she goes, he will. And so Julie drags Bob to this support group. And what is fascinating is the way Bob talks about his experience in this support group. As he sits there and he recognizes there are people who are not as worse off as him sitting around the table, and yet he has compassion for these other people who have gone through a stroke. And the grief that they feel of not being able to do everything that they used to be able to do or operate every way that they used to be able to operate. And Bob has compassion for him, for all of them. And one of the things that is interesting in his self-reflection is he recognizes that if he has compassion for somebody else, then he still has a heart. And he still has a soul. And if he has compassion for somebody else, then he still has a recognition that he can do something for somebody else. As Adam talked about, that when we are in the down and in the dumps, doing something for somebody else often enlivens us because it means we still matter. We still have a purpose and a function. Therapists will tell people, go buy a plant and water the plant because it gives you something to care for and take care of. And so acknowledging our grief also opens our eyes to the hurt and others and allows us to recognize we're still alive and we still matter because we can feel for somebody else. And often in the numbness of grief, we forget that we can feel. But once we start feeling, once we start caring, once we have compassion for others, then we begin to live again and we begin to function again and we can live with the grief. And what's fascinating about this dynamic of Ruth and Naomi is Ruth was a daughter-in-law, 
But through the process of dealing with their grief together, Naomi starts referring to her as her daughter. And that would have been a little bit of a common family thing in Jewish communities at that time. They would have found each other as daughters, but even more so, their relationship becomes daughter-in-law to daughter. And what I always tell people about when they're remembering their loved ones, when you're seeing photographs up on stage, is I always hope in your grief process that those memories that cause you pain eventually turn to memories that bring you joy, that you get to experience that life together. And in the story of Naomi and Ruth, there's this turn that it is tragic of what they go through and they will never get their husbands back and they will never get their future back and they will never get their life back in the way that they thought they would have it. But because of what they experience, all of a sudden Naomi and Ruth are closer than they ever would have been. And so the moment of grief, while always being a sad moment, also becomes this moment in which they became closer and which becomes this outcome of ultimately the, you know, granddaughter or the grandmother of King David because they chose to feel for each other and they chose to have compassion for each other. And so naming our grief, admitting that we are hurting allows for the process of healing and it invites us to have compassion for others so that we can feel again and live again. And ultimately that turns into what I believe is a form of resurrection. Because as I was looking at just advice online of kind of lists of what would you tell people who are grieving and things that I've told people, one of the most common expressions was hang on. Hang on, force yourself to take a shower, force yourself to do these things, hang on because it gets better. Hang on to those who will support you. Hang on to those who love you. Hang on to the memories that you have. Hang on to your loved one. Don't forget them. Hang on is the common theme of hang on because hang on means it's going to keep moving and it's going to keep going. And eventually, and eventually what I would say is that we hang on to the promise. And one of the things that Naomi recognizes as they're journeying together in this grief process is that there is a promise and there is a solution and there is a a happiness that exists if they can go interact with Boaz, this other character that eventually Ruth will have this kid and eventually it will become this great lineage that ultimately leads to King David and ultimately leads to, to Jesus. But if they don't hang on, if they don't hang on to that faithfulness in the moments of despair, then that never happens, I don't think. As you hear the scripture read, you know, Naomi talks about how God has turned God's back upon Naomi, but as the story progresses, there's this underlying theme that God is working in the, working in the underneath. I think part of living with grief is hanging on. And it's hanging on to habits that are productive. It's hanging on to faith that is forward-thinking, forward-looking, as well as remembering into the past. It's hanging on to faith that there is a God who is working in the underneath. That Romans passage that God works all, good, all things for good. And it doesn't mean that those things that happened were good. It doesn't mean that losing a loved one is good. It simply means that in all things, Naomi and Ruth can find a new relationship. That in all things we can recognize it's not going to be the same. But that doesn't mean it can't be good. Living with grief is very much this process that Naomi and Ruth find together of naming that something is not normal, something is not right, acknowledging the pain that we feel and the pain that others feel, uniting in that grief and hanging on to each other, knowing that God is with us and God is bringing us to moments of redemption and resurrection. And I'll dare say that's part of the hardest work of grief 
is when we've experienced a traumatic moment in the past, believing there's something good in the future is very hard. And so hang on. Hang on to your church. Hang on to the message of Christ. Hang on to your faith. Talked about a few weeks ago. Faith is believing that which cannot be seen. Hang on and keep moving, keep breathing, keep helping, keep serving. Keep going forward as though God has something good on the other side of this. Because as we see from Naomi and Ruth, as we see in so many instances, God does have something good out of the bad. Before we pray and transition to communion, I just want to um, do something as a little bit of a social experiment so that you can name your grief, so that you can acknowledge the grief in others, so that we can hang on to each other in the spirit of God to move forward together. I just wanna ask if anybody, raise your hand and keep them raised, raise your hand if you have ever lost a spouse. I want you to see you're not alone. We have people, you can put your hands down, we have people every time they lose a spouse who are ashamed or afraid to be seen as a widow or a widower. You're not alone. Raise your hand if your kid has ever gone off to college and you've been left as an empty nester. You're not alone. Everybody has to deal with the newness of life. Some people love the newness of life without their children around. Now, you don't have to raise your hand if you don't want to for this, for the next two. Raise your hand if you or your spouse has ever had a miscarriage. Thank you for being honest. You're not alone. Raise your hand if you or someone you know has ever gone through a divorce. You're not alone, and you don't need to be ashamed. Raise your hand if you've ever lost a child. You're not alone. And you don't have to be ashamed. But we're here for you. And we're sad with you. And we celebrate that you're still here. And we celebrate that God has brought you other people to grieve with and to walk with. And there's a whole host of other scenarios that we could walk through and walk with. But hang on. Hang on to each other. And hang on to the faith that says that God is moving in the undercurrent to bring us to hope and promise. Let's pray. Gracious God, through all the grief that we may feel, we bring it to you today at your altar and your communion table with the faces of those whom we have lost, knowing that they surround us with the eternal connection of the Holy Spirit, and that they are in heaven where we will see them again, and ultimately, Lord, in the resurrection, we will walk and talk with them again, along with your Son, Jesus, who is our Savior. For the pain that we still carry from years ago, Lord, we bring it to your altar and we give it to you. We name it and we claim it. It is part of our story and it is part of the way in which you have brought hope to us. 
And so we, may we never forget the hope that has been shown to us. May we never forget the promise that has been shown to us. May we never forget that we have survived the hardest things that we can ever survive. Because you have been with us and you have given us each other. So Lord, as we take communion together, may we remember that it is a uniting with you and uniting with each other and the recognition of the pain that Jesus felt so that we might know that we are never alone in our pain and there is hope on the other side of the cross. May we experience life anew together again today, God. And it's in your son's name we pray. Amen. Thanks for listening. We would love if you could leave us a review on whatever platform you are listening today and let us know how we are doing. Be sure to check out our social media pages at Creekwood UMC and our website, creekwoodumc.org, for more ways to get involved at Creekwood United Methodist Church in person, online, or both. Thanks again for listening, and have a great week.